I believe in Christ, he is my king. With all my heart to him I'll sing. I'll raise my voice in praise and joy, in grand amens my tongue employ. Scriptures reveal the divine desires of the Lord in our behalf. Each of us should have a burning desire to search the scriptures diligently and daily to seek the will of the Lord in our life. Brothers and sisters, on very thin pages, thick with meaning, are some almost hidden scriptures. Hence we are urged to search, feast, and ponder. If you are lonely, please know you can find comfort. If you are discouraged, please know you can find hope. If you are poor in spirit, please know you can be strengthened. If you feel you are broken, please know you can be mended. Hello, welcome everyone to Go and Do. We have Jacob chapters 1 through 4. Um, we'll be covering uh, how the Lord wants us to magnify our callings, uh, that the Lord delights in chastity, um, that we can be all reconciled to God through the atonement of Jesus Christ, and how to avoid spiritual blindness by focusing on the Savior. Also, other topics of um, seek ye first the kingdom of God before riches and, and other aspects of living the gospel. I'm Daniel. I'm Philly. And I'm Claudia. We're joined by Claudia Jensen today, my mom. <laughs> So a lot of cool stuff in this uh, section, Jacob 1 through 4, a lot of different topics even. Um, in verses 5 and 6, those really kind of stood out to me um, as Jacob is kind of assuming the mantle of the religious and spiritual leader of the group of people. Um, it says, For because of faith and great anxiety, it truly had been made manifest unto us concerning our people what things should happen unto them. And we also had many revelations in the spirit of much prophecy, wherefore we knew of Christ and his kingdom which should come. Here he uses the word anxiety. And anxiety to me um, means concern or preoccupation. And probably because he's, he's saying, I'm responsible for the spiritual well-being of these people as their teacher. Um, he's thinking about them. He's receiving revelation for them and about what their needs are. Well, there's... There's different meanings to anxiety. Yeah. We have to we have to listen and read the scriptures with spiritual ears to hear what is really meant. Because in another scripture, in the famous Doctrine and Covenants scripture, we hear you should be anxiously engaged in a good cause. Right. That one doesn't mean you should be worried, troubled, right. um, stressed out about doing things. It just means you should be actively purposefully engaged. And so I think this is a similar place where if we take it anxiety for what it means today, then it it kind of feels bad. Well, and then in verse 7, wherefore we labor diligently. And that to me is his explanation of what having anxiety for him, right? We labor diligently among our people that we might persuade them to come unto Christ and partake of the goodness of God. Well, um, he, he begins kind of explaining his motive. Yeah. You call me a teacher. You look up to me. You looked up to my brother. 
in the first section of the lesson talks about the Lord wants me to magnify my calling and it says to Jacob teaching the Word of God was more than an assignment from his brother it was an errand from the Lord so he labored diligently to magnify his office President Gordon B Hinckley taught that we magnify our calling as we serve with diligence as we teach with faith and testimony as we lift and strengthen and build convictions of righteousness in those life whose lives we touch and then it gives us an, a question at the end of the section where it says why did Jacob serve so faithfully and what does his example inspire you to do to magnify your church calling you know this um, this scripture is very important to me um, Jacob 119 is the one that I love not only his big brother gave them the assignment, like you said. He's, he's doing it to serve Jesus Christ. And one thing that this scripture did to me, I'm a convert to the church, and 18 months after I, I joined the church, I was um, 21 and a half years old, and I went on a mission to serve for 18 months. And my commitment to to teach those in the world that didn't know where to find the truth was absolute. I think I was doing with, I don't want to say anxiety because I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't stressed out. On the contrary, I was absolutely enjoying it. I was committed and I, I remember feeling that this scripture moved me day after day after day and it should be something that happens to us every day, that, that a scripture like this moves us to do things with absolute dedication and the one I'm talking about is the 19th verse of Jacob 1 and we did magnify our office unto the Lord taking upon ourselves the responsibility answering the sins of the people upon our own heads if we did not teach them the word of God with all diligence wherefore by laboring with our might their blood might not come upon our garments otherwise their blood would come upon our garments and we would not be found spotless at the last day and I, it wasn't that I want I didn't want to have the sin of people on other people on me because I had enough with my own issues <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't that it was um, first of all I was taught diligently the gospel of Jesus Christ when I was taught for the first time um, I, I brought up lots of questions and many answers were given to me. So I thought I have to prepare myself um, to do the same for those that are looking for the truth. And so I think this is a great example that this scripture helps us to do that kind of thing. And what Philly said at the beginning. Yeah, what, does his, what does his example inspire you to do to magnify your church calling and your responsibilities at home? So again, and, and it's a hard, it, it's, it's funny to be saying it to you <laughs> because you're my son. But <laughs> <laughs> but to have, um, I had that commitment my whole life. You know, when you spend almost 20 years of your life without the truth um, and you are looking and you're confused, once you find it, you want everybody to have it and you don't want confusion in other people's lives thanks to your misunderstandings. But also as a mother, I took it that um, that I will bring it to my children in absolute clarity and, and 
well, as much clarity as I have in the gospel, because I, I know that I have things to still learn. But I, I taught it that way with all my heart. So, so there wouldn't be any confusions and whatever my children choose to do with the truth is up to them, to them. But I have to have all the clarity possible when I teach them. And I think all parents will see that yeah. as our responsibility. I think one, something that's really interesting about this verse is it doesn't say, they never remove the agency from the equation. It's not that we forced them into doing what was right so that we would not be blamed for their sins. It's we did our best to teach them what they needed to know, and then it was still up to them to be obedient. And they they were committed to fulfilling their calling as teachers, right? Not committed to making sure that everyone was obedient. That's their, That's on them. Oh, for, for sure. And that's the same way as it is with children. That's the same way as it is with people that we t- teach on a mission or in our wards or whatever. If you have a calling, your commitment is to fulfill your calling. What happens after that, um, how people take it or what people do with your service, that's not really up to you to decide. That's, that's on, on them. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like as a missionary, you you can get carried away with at times feeling like you're not successful maybe because you don't have progressing investigators or you're not baptizing someone every Sunday but that is not an effort wasted the invitation you've done your duty and I think the responsibility that we take when we become disciples of Jesus Christ is we take upon him, well, we take upon us his name, which means that I am going to try to be like him and do good to others and help others. It's no longer enough just to think about myself, you know? And, and like he mentioned, when he, when he was teaching his disciples or his apostles, and they said, hey, which one of us is going to be the greatest? <laughs> and he took a child and he said, hey, whichever one of you becomes as a little child is the greatest. And then let the greatest will be thy servant. You know, I, I know I kind of butchered it, but in essence, he's saying when you give yourself in behalf of others, you are being the greatest you can be, having that charity, being like Christ. And what Jacob, what I felt as I read his, these chapters is he truly wanted to help and change people's heart. Mm-hmm. He wasn't there just to condemn them, just to say, look, look, all the bad things you're doing. And I think it's interesting at the end how it, it asks us, how do we take his example and apply it into our church callings and responsibilities at home? Some of us may have callings that maybe we don't feel are that important, but they are. And our reverence as we do them or our dedication is an offering to the Lord, whether it's printing announcements, folding up paper, restocking the library, you know, helping kids, whatever it may be, or just being a witness or being uh, another leader that can sit in a car so you can travel with youth. You know, whatever it may be, it's just as important. And then the second half is our responsibilities at home. We all have that (laughs) in our families. And if we (coughs) don't have 
a normal family relationship, our ward family or our friends um, yeah, become our among family. Our friends, yeah. You know? I think one thing that I don't know if I said it clearly, but that the goal would be to um, understand the gospel the best we can so we teach the gospel in a way that others will improve their lives and do better and instead of us confusing them to make them to allow them to make mistakes thanks to our wrong teachings so his point was even though he says i don't want their sins on me we we want to kind of um it's like putting asphalt on a road, right? You want them to be able to move as smoothly as possible, progressing and growing. And so our job is to teach it diligently because that way people do better. It, it, like sharing the gospel with, with a strong testimony and with the best understanding. And for that, we need the help and guidance of the Holy Ghost. I remember my mission president saying, um, elders, what are we teaching? And we were like, we're teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's like, do you know it? Learn the doctrine. You need to be actively learning the doctrine, right? And a lot of the stuff that we talk about are the basic principles of the gospel with investigators. But you need to learn the doctrine. You need to know what you're talking about in order to teach it correctly so that you're not kind of just reading it or teaching things that are mostly true but mixed with your own understanding like learn it well enough that when you teach it they're learning it correctly and they get and a good footing and it is simple yeah y you know we'll get counseled here and pr in previous chapters about looking beyond the mark yep about and 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 I don't understand how we could read so far into the book of mormon and forget repeatedly how it says it's simple teaching to man's understanding and even the Lord wants everyone to hear it in their language with and plainness. holds them accountable yeah. for what they know and then and in second Nephi it speaks about the atonement and how how much grace there is for those who have not the law given and and so there's a lot of things we can learn there on how to treat each other and also hold ourselves accountable there's something very practical in this verse uh, in the in the first chapter I really like and it's in verse um, 13 where it says and now the people which were not Lamanites were Nephites nevertheless they were called Nephites Jacobites Josephites Soramites Lamanites Lamanites and Ishmaelites and it, it's funny because they kind of there's a lot of them they weren't all Nephites they were from Jacob's family from Zoram's family but they decided hey we're all the same you know, we all for the Nephi. sake of either writing this or the sake of we're all one tribe now and I think that's really interesting because that that happens in the church nowadays we're now saying we have members all over the world and when you join we're all in this together you know or there's the idea of a Utah Mormon and a Mormon outside of Utah right and it's like well I get what that's talking about, that there's definitely a unique culture in the church here in Utah, but we're all members of the Church of Jesus Christ. And once we start kind of putting up, oh, you're a Utah Mormon or something like that, it, it creates a, a weird division that they're kind of illustrating here. There are no divisions. There should be no divisions among us, right? For sure. They, they actually had to... Um, 
specify the two sides. The, the, they ended up dividing them between Lemonites and Nephites, um, mostly because the jealousy and confusion that the Lemonites were preaching to their people was creating a divide between them and they needed to know how to refer to each other, I guess. That's why they yeah. divided them into two. And so th they became the bad guys and the good guys, even though, uh, interestingly, that switched and became the, the good guys that were the Nephites uh, yeah. started doing things that they shouldn't be, have been doing. And so the Lemonites started to shine more and, 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 and so the, the, the division existed, but it wasn't a label that stayed. Yeah. So the following section is titled, The Lord Delights in Chastity. Mm -hmm. And uh, it just, the intro says, sin has consequences for individuals and for societies. In speaking about sexual sin, Jacob's war Jacob warned of both types of consequences. Um, and then it tell and, and it gives us a guide as we read these chapters to look for ways immorality was affecting the Nephites as a people and individuals. How are these ways similar to the consequences of immorality we see in the world today? Yeah, I think it's interesting how he starts out almost apologetic that he has to talk about these things. And, but he feels compelled to, to kind of chastise the disobedient. And he knows that by, making, that by bringing it up, he might be even making it worse for those that need healing, and that he's not really providing that healing directly for them by giving them words of reassurance or something. He's kind of saying, I'm gonna bring up topics that are very raw and that are very real for a lot of people. But then he goes on to point out that through repentance and healing of the atonement, even the, both the sinner and the spiritually wounded can be healed, can be restored. Because he, he specifically talks about chastity in, in marriage, them wanting to have wi uh, multiple wives and concubines and all that. And he's, you know, you can imagine that if this is happening, that there's some women that are, and children that are very negatively affected by that. And uh, he doesn't at first say, "Hey, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna reassure you that you're okay." He basically just says, "This is a, this is a terrible thing, and a lot of you are being affected by this." I think the the most beautiful thing about the gospel is that even though we have to address sin and not beat around the bushes, what's bad is bad, and we need to say it and it has to be clear for everybody and whoever needs to be called to repentance needs to hear it um, at the end like you said everybody has the hope of the atonement of jesus christ they can make it better for everyone it all depends on how we react to those calls of attention i i see how jacob is feeling the pain of bringing that up is almost like i wish i didn't have to say these things mm -hmm. but also he wants to say like like philly said at the beginning he wants to be obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ and the assignment that he was given. So he knows he's... It's like, I can't just leave this out because it's uncomfortable. It, it, uh, it reminds exactly. me a little bit of President Nelson's talk he gave a couple months ago at BYU, where he talked about the gospel doctrines and, and, and he talked a little bit about the proclamation of the family. And he said, 
it would be far worse for us not to tell you the commandments of God and let you just think and do whatever you want to that extent. Yeah. And it, it feels very similar to what Jacob is saying is it would be far worse for me not to say something, yeah. not to remind you that these things are bad. And it's funny because it begins explaining to them that, you know, the hand in 13, the hand of providence has smiled upon you. Mm-hmm. And you have obtained many riches, but you started becoming prideful. Having, he says, st- wear stiff necks and high heads because <laughs> of the costliness of your apparel. So you started turning materialistic. And then, and I don't know if these things are a sequence of events, this leads to this and this leads to that, but then he goes all the way into 28 where he says, for I the Lord delight in the chastity of women and whoredoms are abomination before me, thus saith the Lord. And then he goes to explain even further that the Lord will not suffer that his fair daughters are mistreated and that their cries will not be in vain. It will be to your destruction. I think one one thing that needs to be said about how the Lord delights in the chastity of women is that the chastity of women involved men's behavior. We cannot blame a woman for not being chaste, is that the word? We cannot, we cannot judge that against a woman because a woman stops being chased with the help of a man. It cannot happen any other way. So he's calling two things in here, how a woman has to be clean and pure, which means a man has to be clean and pure right. and stay that way and treat each other without in, under those limitations or parameters. And he, he does that by addressing how they're using the the Old Testament examples of David and Solomon to justify their wives and concubines. They had them, you know, but he he tells them, you know, the Lord wasn't super pleased with that. And he addresses the whole issue by going after the principle that marriage is between a man and a woman. And when you start going outside those bounds, you are affecting not only your own well-being as a spiritual child of God, but also the well-being of all those women that you're including in your wives and concubines. Right. Instead of going after the women alone or going after the men alone, it's like, look, this is the situation. Everyone is kind of doing this and it's not okay. And just like it was, um, like you said, how they, they kind of uh, excuse their behavior because they bring up people as important as Solomon and David and they did it, so why couldn't we? That wasn't right in the eyes of God then and it's not right in the time of Jacob right here. And some people might say, yeah, but you Mormons, members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, believe or supported polygamy. And so there are, and I don't know if it's in the manual or if it's in, here's in the scriptures that says, at certain, certain times in history or certain times in, yeah, in the history of the world, the Lord has allowed that or has asked for that to happen or, or, or mandated that to happen but it isn't something that can be taken as can be taken lightly or be done only because you last other relationships not only that but i think we do it with things that aren't necessarily related to chastity we look at people at the past or people that we respect 
what they've done or what they do that may be not in line with what the church teaches, what the gospel teaches, and we use that as an excuse to justify our bad habits or behaviors. Like, we, we use it kind of like, I heard once that someone did this, and so it must be okay. And it's like, when it comes down to it, you know what's right and what's wrong. And he does say that a couple of times in here. You know, you've been taught. This is not new stuff to you. You know one thing that was interesting to me about him starting to teach? Uh, he started to teach or to, to talk about their the mistakes. It says, I come up into the temple this day that I might declare unto you the word of God. I think it's pretty cool how he, how in those days they got, they congregated in the temple. Um, I don't know how different it was from today, today's temples. Today's temples have their, their lessons, let's say, already recorded in film or in those live sessions where people can go and hear those lessons. In the time of Jacob, he had to be the one that went in there and explained what was the true doc doctrine. But in any case, we go to the temple these days to learn. And every time we sit there, and even though we know that it's going to be the same lesson, every time it's the same doctrine, we hear something new every time mm -hmm. because we are ready for more and because our eyes are more open or because we are in, in a stage in our lives where we can, we can grow and see more. I don't know how to put it. But in any case, we go to the temple to learn. And in those days, they went to the temple to learn. And he called things by their name. He just brought it out and made it super clear. They talked about chastity. And we go to the temple and learn about chastity to the, to this, the present time. And so how is the, you know how you said what is, I think it was in the manual that said how is the comparison with this type of uh, choices people did in, the, in Jacob's time and today? And today we deal with the same issues. Well, and the fact of the matter is that sin affects not only the individual, but the community, the society. And in what ways, you know, at the individual, they may lose certain privileges or rights. Um, they may not have the company of the Spirit all the time if they're in sin, but it also affects beyond you. I think a lot of people think, well, it's my decision, it's my agency, I'll choose to do what I want. But they neglect to realize that he's pointing out the whole wives and concubines and law of chastity problems, not just because he's thinking of certain individuals, he's thinking about the whole society. Mm. This, is a, this is a degradation of society because of the actions of maybe a few. You know. Well, you look at the Book of Mormon, its story is the story of the effects that parents can have on their children. In Lehi's case, it was kind of 50%, mm -hmm. 50%. But in Lem and Lemuel, generations in other, in will war and fight each other over wrongdoings we think happen or because we look different or they look different, or you know, we, we act different, or someone stole something from us generations ago, or we perceived and we changed history in our minds. And that's exactly almost every conflict that has happened on earth. It's kind of the same. It's someone perceives a wrong, someone wants power over somebody else. And 
for me, I I think, you know, w- with with what you were saying about, um, it kind of takes a man and woman together, and I think a man needs to be responsible that you are not encouraging or seeking after immorality because you then create a temptation for someone to play that role or act that way and as a woman knowing that men are um, dumb sometimes (laughs) you should search for men who aren't shallow like that you know what I mean and (coughs) it takes both it's kind of like both have a responsibility. Everyone has something they they can do to help this issue. You know, just because it, he delights in the chastity of women, the tone of this, it's more a condemnation to the man because he says here, for they shall not lead away captive the daughters of my people because of their tenderness. And in the, in the, it's interesting because in the scripture, uh, in verse number 30 of Jacob 2, it says, he kind of says, you shall keep these commandments. And then he says, for I will, saith the Lord of hosts, raise up seed unto me, and I will command my people. Otherwise, they shall hearken unto these things. So he's kind of saying, if I want you guys to practice polygamy, then I will tell you that. If I don't tell you that, then you do this. And then if you look at the footnote there, it takes us to Doctrine and Covenants, uh, section 49, verse 16, where this is more modern scripture that's telling us nowadays, where it says, Wherefore it is lawful that he should have one wife, and that they shall twain shall be one flesh, and all this that the earth might answer the end of its creation. And scriptures like that, for me, were always weird until I got married and had kids, (laughs) and then realize how insignificant the things I cared about are to my kids, and how how happy it makes me to see them grow, to see them overcome things, to see them feel new things. You watch a movie with your kid, it's like you watch it for the first time, (laughs) again, because you're looking at, or they're experiencing something. It's you're living again. You see it, and it's so beautiful. And I think we forget, you know, the the message here is that the family is the most important thing. And at the end, in verse 35, he tells them the ultimate thing they they have done. This is the, the effect of your sin. Ye have broken the hearts of your tender wives and lost the confidence of your children. And that, I mean, that is why those sins are so bad. It's not because there's a magical equation that now you're gonna get hit with lightning. No, it's you've broken the heart of your wife and lost the confidence of your children. And that's that kind of long-lasting societal impact that that can make is that your wife doesn't trust you anymore. There's disunity there. Your children don't respect you anymore. So they're, they're not going to follow. Even if you were to change and be like, you know what, son, you ought to do that. It might be a little late because he might resent a lot of what you have done. I cannot tell you how many people in my years 
in the gospel. I have been in an active member of the church for 37 years. And in all those years, so many young people have said things like, you are asking me to tell you my plans for the future, finding a husband and, and raising a family with, with children. I, my parents just got divorced. My father wasn't faithful to my mother. He left us in debt and we left with another person and now we, now we are at home trying to you know, make ends meet. And, and how, how are you asking me you know, that I need to plan to find a companion when I know that that's, that's not gonna work? And that is what it's talking about right here, how they have broken the trust to the point that they don't, your next generation might not believe that marriage is important. It's even, yeah. yeah. And how can God ask me to, to go find a companion forever when my mom thought she was married forever and now she's heartbroken? And it says right here, because of um, you have broken the hearts of your tender wives, right, that you read. And it says, because of your bad examples for them and the sobbings of their hearts ascended up to God against you. And because of the strictness of the word of God, which com uh, cometh down against you, many hearts died pierced with deep wounds. And that is devastating to have to have that kind of wound uh, or injury done to somebody because of your selfishness, which is what it is, is selfishness. And another thing I saw, you know when we read that they sh you shall not commit war dumps, uh, obviously, because of my accent, you can tell that this is my second language, right? So I went to the dictionary to get the exact definition of wardoms because I could think, is it just prostitution? Is it just, um, is that all it is? But what's funny is that I saw a bunch of definitions that have to do with sexual misconduct and then idolatry and faithless actions. Hmm. It's considered wardrobe. Uh, I can't even say it, wordoms. So when we put anything else that gives us pleasure and excitement and happiness instead of the things of God, we are committing this type of sin, a wordom. You know, it takes away from the focus being our Lord Jesus Christ and we're being unfaithful to God, not just to our wives or husbands or our family, but we are we are doing that to our Heavenly Father and our Lord Jesus Christ as a part of being, to, to having idols, which could be another human being that we care more about, or it could be the riches that we were talking about earlier, or just the pride to be, you know, all stuck up and thinking that you know more than anybody. All those things are putting idols in your life. I, th I find it interesting that with the shift to ministry, how important that word is. And I think to myself how we're all to minister to each other. But the most important ministry, and we, we've heard this for years, forever, for, through all the prophets, is the ministry you do to your family, you know? In, in as we read the scriptures, we're told we're held accountable to what we do and what we know and to the amount of knowledge we have. So those that we see every day 
should receive our maximum effort. The ones we are called to minister once a week in a <laughs> lesson, they can get our effort. That's important too. You know, my personal opinion that if we don't use our agency correctly with those around us immediately, then we should not be looking far away. We shouldn't be wanting, hey, can we get the other unsealed section of the scriptures? <laughs> can we get this? Can we, can we count Nephi's steps backwards and find out where he landed the ship? You know, all these things. Well, have you broken the heart of your tender wife? Have you lost the confidence of your children? Have you mastered those two things inversely? Have you gained the confidence of your wife? Where, where when you speak to each other, there is no doubt. There's no reason to say, well, I wonder if he's, I wonder what, you know, I'm, I wonder if he's telling me the truth. There's no guile. You know? There's no ulterior yeah. motive. There's no and, manipulation. And, and with it's your children, that they know their role model is you. You know what I mean? And if, and if that's the case, then sure, there's other things. Increase your, your impact, you know? It kind of goes back to when he's talking about riches. Because he talks about seeking of riches. And I wanted to point out, it's not the seeking of riches or having riches that's the problem that he's talking about. It's when you start thinking of those things and how they make you better than others and how they start distracting you from seeking first the kingdom of God. Because it says right there that you will be helped and guided if after you have found the kingdom of God, you seek for those riches with the condition that you're going to bless other people's lives. Not only you're going to take care of your wife and your children, but you're going to go and minister and, and share what you have. And so your brothers and sisters won't go hungry. Or you, I remember my mom who died two years ago of at age 90, 92 and a half, she would say. <laughs> um, she was a Relief Society president at age 78. And she lived alone in our home in Argentina because the two daughters were married and gone from the home and my dad had, had passed away. And she will ha her closets were full of coats and shoes and boots and whatever you wanted. I mean, we had a lot of stuff. And so she would know that somebody was in need of, of shoes or coats or, or even plates or whatever. And she will bring them into our house and, and say, Choose one, try them on. Let's see which one fits you or you like. And I remember saying, mom, uh, you just let everybody in our house. I mean, I was here, so you just let everybody in our house just to try stuff on. And, and I was concerned that they will, you know, be in a- Take advantage of her. Yeah, yeah. I mean, only, <laughs> I mean, she's 78, she's all alone. What's gonna happen if everybody knows that she has all this stuff that they could have? Um, and she will say, oh, this is going to make me cry. I wasn't going to cry. She will say, um, why do I have these things in, in the closet, Claudia? I don't need more than a coat. I don't need more than a pair of shoes. I have them so I can give them to those that need it. And I remember thinking, I'm all worried about people robbing her or attacking her while my mother is being incredibly giving and and doing this. And she didn't she wasn't rich. She just had extra stuff. Um, but she she was giving extra things and she did what the scriptures tell us. Make sure that what with all that extra stuff 
you make sure that nobody's suffering around you. And in that case, he's gonna help us have what we need to have and even more than what we need because it is with the purpose of sharing and making somebody else's life easier. Well, in verse 18, that's the famous scripture about this. It says, but before ye seek for riches, seek ye for the kingdom of God. And he's basically saying, maintain your priorities. The, the quote that I remember from David O. McKay is, no worldly success can compensate for failure in the home. And that goes for, you know, even within the church, if you, if you think that your calling is so important that you dedicate so much time to it that you neglect your family, like you were saying with ministering. If you're ministering like an animal to everyone <laughs> around you, you know, and you're carrying their groceries in their house and taking them everywhere and doing this and neglecting your own family, uh, you're kind of putting the riches, these riches being praise or honor, before the kingdom of God, which is your eternal family. And I don't think that he, in the, in the next verse he says, and after you have obtained a hope in Christ, you shall obtain riches if you seek them. That's the one you were kind of talking about. Mm -hmm. And you will seek them for the intent to do good, to clothe the naked and to feed the hungry and to liberate the ca captive and administer relief to the sick and the afflicted. I don't think he's stating here that just by living the gospel, you'll become rich. It's not a guarantee. Oh, gosh, no. But what he's <laughs> saying is what you consider to be riches might change. It might not be gold and silver. You might consider your family to be riches. You might consider time to be riches. You might consider, you know, spiritual well, experiences to be I, riches. I think also we are all rich to someone. Yeah. And someone will always be more rich than us. <laughs> whether it's talents or whether it's money. And, and what we're being told is wherever you are, you can help someone else. Mm -hmm. You know? And not all help is money. Um, the most valuable we thing we all have is time. Um, one thing, I, you know, in chapter 3, verse 11, it says, O brethren, hearken unto my words. Arouse the faculties of your souls. Shake yourselves that ye may awake from the slumber of death and loose yourselves from the pains of hell, that ye may not become angels unto the devil, to be cast into a fire, into a lake of fire and brimstone, which is the second death. The first part where he says, arouse the faculties of your soul. I think about that a lot in almost, when you listen to conference, when you sit at church, when you sit in a Sunday school, or when you're just thinking, Anytime you feel you can do something different or better, that is an invitation to do something different or better. And, and I've all, I say that because it took me a while to learn that either at times when I felt uncomfortable by the message because I was the one <laughs> sinning or, or I was the one that was had that problem, or I felt like, Man, I know this. We should talk about another topic. All of those are, um, are an invitation to, to continue to learn, to continue to try to change. But what I'm saying is sometimes we feel like we're waiting for the sign 
to change our lives. This is it. <laughs> when you hear it, that is it. When you take actions to change your life, you will then feel it. And that's where in the scriptures it say, you know, those, you know, that those that have ears to hear will hear. It's it's not just immediate. You have to take some steps. You have to give it a try. Like in Alma, you have to experiment with the word. You have to plant it. You have to nurture it. And that's, for me, that is a path, not just to building faith, but to repentance. Even if you feel what you're doing is not wrong, even if you don't feel remorse, find out. Stop it. Try something else and allow the Spirit to come. Because I have felt there have been times in my life where I have thought, oh, it's okay to be that vulgar. I remember my dad, he would swear at us or, or this and that. And, and I would think to myself, oh, it's okay. And you can be tempted to, oh, this was an ideal or, or I was raised this way or whatever. It's okay for me to be like this. Yeah. But when you hear that, that's you lying to yourself. You know better, change it, give it a try, and see how you feel. Well, it's exactly what he's talking about in chapter 4, verse 14. He says, But behold, the Jews were a stiff-necked people, and they despised the words of plainness, and killed the prophets, and sought for things that they could not understand. Wherefore, because of their blindness, which blindness came by looking beyond the mark, they must needs fall. For, the, for God hath taken away his plainness from them and delivered unto them many things which they cannot understand because they desired it, because they desired, and because they desired it, God hath done it, that they might stumble. It's like, this is exactly, they were blind to the fact that they, they lost track of the basic principles of the gospel because they wanted more, they wanted something different. I think if I'm in a Sunday school lesson and it's like, we're going to talk about the law of chastity again, you know, and there's kind of this feeling of how many times do we need to go over this. And it, even if you feel like you know everything about it, that is just more of a call to, you know, the closer you get to God, the more he'll show you your weaknesses. The closer you get to understanding something, the more there is to learn from it and the more there is to understand. This reminds me of something that happened, wow, like 35 years ago. I was alone in my rented room in a little grandma's house on my mission. I didn't have a companion. I had to spend, I spent, I, I had a whole week that I just <laughs> went to work with the elders because I didn't have a sister companion. So they would pick me up at nine o'clock in the morning and bring me right back at nine o'clock at night. And I had to be all alone in that room. And after a year and so, having a companion for 24 hours, it was weird to be all alone. So I remember thinking, uh, okay, I have these lessons to teach tomorrow when the elders come to get me. I'm going to prepare my lessons and then I, I don't have anybody to talk to and because the little grandma we rented from was deaf, so I couldn't talk to her. <laughs> so I was alone, you guys. <laughs> and. Um, and I remember thinking, I just got this video. This uh, was no video 35 years ago. Sorry, let me just be truthful. It was one of those films, those film strips mm -hmm. that you put in the machine that went beep, yeah. beep, and, and the you had slides. to. Yes. <laughs> so I'm there all alone 
thinking, I'm going to watch this for the first time in my life. I never had before the strip, the film strip of the restoration of the priesthood. So there I am all alone, knowing I've been teaching the gospel for a year and a, almost a year and two months or something. I know every discussion and I know, I know everything that I have to teach. There was nothing new in there for me, right? So I remember kneeling and asking Heavenly Father to help me feel the spirit. And I said, I know what the l restoration of the gospel of the priesthood is. Nothing is going to be new, but if by any chance there is anything you want to testify to me, I'm open. Whatever comes into this, uh, I was projecting it on the wall with the projector on my bed. Whatever you want to touch my heart with, I'm open. I'm ready. I have a testimony of the restoration of the priesthood, but I'm ready for more. The most awesome thing happened. I will listen to the tape recorder go, the cassette player running the, the, the voice, and then I will move the picture. I, I've never seen this before. I've seen only the, the, the printed version of Peter, James, and John coming down and giving the priesthood, right? I see that on the wall. I felt this warm, warmth in my heart. My ears, my um, eyes were filled with tears. I'm there sobbing all by myself, sitting all by myself in the room with my little machine all by myself, absolutely filled by the Spirit, touching me with that picture, with the next picture. It was like, I will come down and listen to the next part and two or three little frames will come up and all good. And then a fourth frame will come up and shoo, all over again, that warmth and those tears filling up my eyes and just running down my cheeks and all by myself there, crying my eyes out. And I remember feeling overwhelmed with gratitude that my Heavenly Father, knowing that what I knew, still gave me more assurance more knowledge. I already knew it. There was nothing to discover. And he didn't say, look, Claudia, the world is full of people. I have a lot of people that need me right now. Why don't you just watch your own video by yourself and call it a night? <laughs> <laughs> he sent the Holy Ghost to touch my heart at every frame and feed my spirit and solidify my testimony. So even when we think we know everything, we can still be teachable. But I think experience. And ask for more. I think experiences like that only happen when you're looking at the mark. You're saying, "I I want to be shown the target, right?" I'm not looking beyond the mark, because it's you think about in like archery. In in your mind, you want to be hitting that that bullseye, and the bullseye is when you're getting those testimonies of, from the spirit. Um, if you're looking beyond the bullseye, that's not good. Just because you can shoot your arrow farther does not mean that you're more accurate, right? <laughs> or that does not mean you're a better archer. You're actually shooting too far. You're not hitting it. And I think um, it's interesting because in this verse it also says that God will give us things even against his better judgment that we're asking for that we're not ready for yet. And I, the first thing that came to mind was Martin Harris and the 116 pages. Ooh, yeah. He wanted them. I want to be able to show my family. And Joseph Smith went and prayed and said, Lord said no. And he was like, no, but I really need this. And so they pressed and pressed and pressed until finally the Lord's like, fine, take them. 
and then he lost them. And that's a perfect example of someone who was trying to shoot beyond the mark, who was trying to do too much and losing track of the basics. And Quentin L. Cook, I think it's in the manual, um, has a quote and says, there is a tendency among some of us to look beyond the mark rather than to maintain a testimony of gospel basics. We do this when we substitute the philosophies of men for gospel truths, engage in gospel extremism, or elevate rules over doctrine. Avoiding these behaviors will help us avoid the theological blindness and stumbling that Jacob described. I, I think that gospel extremism, you know, we think about the the Pharisees and the Sadducees, right? I'm gonna, uh, I'm going to rely so much on the law that I'm gonna literally strap it to my forehead, right? Gospel extremism is that necessary? No. Christ came and said, "Love one another," right? <laughs> that was their law that they had, but it wasn't even necessary to do everything that they were doing. And I think what he's trying to say here is, keep in mind the basics, live those basic gospel truths. And you will learn more than you could even imagine, like you said, in that experience. You knew about the restoration of the priesthood. That wasn't a new bunch of information for you. But it was the Lord saying, I'm confirming it to you more than ever before, right? When you were talking, I was thinking about how the Lord gives us according to our desires, whether they be good or bad. And what that is, what I think that is, is he gives us agency. We can go out there and pursue many things. And and if we want, we could eat 500 hamburgers a day. It's not wise, <laughs> you know? But we could, right? And just like that, we can do with sins or, or things. And they'll feel good, but they have a consequence. And that price comes due. Yeah. In Jacob 4, verse 6, I like... I like this verse a lot. It says, Wherefore we search the prophets, and we have many revelations in the spirit of prophecy. And having all these witnesses, we obtain a hope, and our faith becometh unshaken, insomuch that we truly can command in the name of Jesus, and the very trees obeys us, and the mountains and the waves of the sea. And this next part, I like to read it a little bit differently. Nevertheless, the Lord God shows unto us how much more we have to improve, that we may know that it is by His grace and teachings and His great condensations unto the children of man that we have the power to do these things. These great prophets, I always feel, share with us their hope, their faith, the miracles that have happened, and then they'd share a little bit about their deficiencies. We know there's more after this. And sometimes we look at people like that and we think, how could they? Well, it's not doubt. It's if, if, we, have, if we have the Holy Ghost with us, we'll know exactly where the mark is. We know when we have to do more and when we have to relax and leave it to the Lord. The temptation is, not living with the spirit of prophecy or not living with the Holy Ghost, trying to live the gospel by sheer knowledge or trying to force spiritual things and not being genuine, then you'll either end up in one extreme or another. One that says, there's nothing, I'm, we're fine. 
you know. And another extreme saying, oh, it's never enough, you know. And if I have felt, I have felt, and I've been in both those places. And when I try my best to have the Spirit with me, and I clean up my act, I then, I am filled with hope. I feel, I'm filled with correction. I know what I can do better, but it's not demotivating, you know? And I think it's very easy for Satan to come and to use gospel principles mingled with philosophies of men or, you know, tell us nine truths just to get one lie in there and disrupt things. And that's the greatest protection we have for peace is to strive to have the Holy Ghost in our lives. You know? There's a scripture that I think encapsulates a lot of this. It's uh, Jacob 4.11. Wherefore, beloved brethren, be reconciled unto him, that through the atonement of, unto him through the atonement of Christ, his only begotten Son, and ye may obtain a resurrection according to the power of the resurrection which is in Christ, and be presented as the first fruits of Christ unto God, having faith and obtained a good hope of glory in him before he manifesteth himself in the flesh. Reconciled. That's in the title of this lesson, right? Be reconciled unto him through the atonement of Christ. Um, so I looked up like the roots to the word reconcile and the, the first part, the prefix re means again and consilare is from Italian meaning to make friendly. And if you think about it that way, it's like it's beyond just getting back to the, the atonement. It's becoming friendly with it, familiar with it to the point where you are living it, you understand it, and you're sharing it. Because right? when you're friendly or friends with it or someone, you are faithful and you're yeah. committed and you don't just take it lightly. Um, go back to Jacob 3, 11, where it says, Hearken unto my words. Arose the faculties of your souls. You read that a little while ago. Shake yourselves that ye may awake from the slumber of death and lose yourselves from the pains of hell that ye may not become angels to the devil, to be cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And it's telling you, embrace, grab on to the Holy Ghost. Not just get up and listen. And, you know, those that have ears to hear, hear, listen. Well, if you never have ears to hear, Go clean up your wax. I don't know. Do something. <laughs> if you never are going to have eyes to see, go get some glasses. You have to do something to get involved and committed to the gospel. And I know I sound al very passionate about it. I'm not shy about it because you saw me your entire life that <laughs> I'm kind of... But I lived 20 years, 19, 19, almost 20 years of my life without the fullness of the gospel. Um, I am sorry that I had to go through teenager years without the gospel of Jesus Christ. I see our youth today, how lightly some of them take the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I want to smack them. I'm sorry, <laughs> I shouldn't be saying this. I want to <laughs> say, <laughs> I want to say, arouse the faculties in your soul, shake yourself, to, you know, awake, because when you are without the light of the gospel, when you are without the power of the Holy Ghost in your life is a tough 
life. I know because I was for almost 20 years of my life looking like crazy and, and not finding the truth. I, I actively looked for the truth. I didn't leave one church unvisited in my town. And finally, a friend of mine brought the missionaries to my door. And hallelujah, thank goodness, forever, because I saw light, literally. My life received light. I became acquainted that very best first day with the missionaries, with the Holy Ghost, who is awesome, warm, kind, patient, and such a teacher. So when he says right here, awake, awake, don't just sit there like a lump, grab this gospel and do something. It says, or you will be like victim to the second death, and this is spiritual death. And he, Jacob, or Jesus Christ, because Jacob is being the voice of Jesus Christ, neither one of them want us to be in darkness. They want us to embrace the Holy Ghost and do not let it go. Become a friend. Reconciliate. Become a friend with the Holy Ghost so you can understand the atonement of Christ, which is endless power. I think at the very end of chapter 4, verses 15, 16, 17, and like the first half of 18, um, he's talking about the Jews again, and he says, And now I, Jacob, am led on by the Spirit unto prophesying, for I perceive by the workings of the Spirit which is in me, that by the stumbling of the Jews they will reject the stone upon which they might build and have safe foundation. The stone being the gospel of Jesus Christ. But behold, according to the Scriptures, this stone shall become the great and the last and the only sure foundation upon which the Jews can build. Not just the Jews, but us. Uh, and now my beloved, beloved brethren, he asks this question. How is it possible that these, after having rejected the sure foundation, can ever build upon it, that it may become the head of their corner? Basically saying, if you're not living the gospel, how can you build a foundation on it? And then, <laughs> first half of 18, Behold, my beloved brethren, I will unfold this mystery unto you. Basically saying, I'm teaching you right now, one of the mysteries of God, if you don't live the gospel, you can't set a foundation on the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you're not making the effort, if you're shortcutting things, if you're looking for, if you're allowing yourself to be spiritually blind, um, if you're shooting beyond the mark, if you're not living what he taught, then you can't have a foundation. Your foundation is weak. You know, it's not upon the stone. It's like, like Philly said, the gospel is simple. And what he asks us to do is simple stuff. And we all want to do something deep and higher and magical. Magi well, <laughs> and let's go I will unfold this mystery unto <laughs> you. It's like, this is not a huge, crazy, mystical thing. This mystery is really simple. Live it and you can build a foundation of happiness on it. Yeah. Don't live it and you're going to be pretty, you're going to be stumbling. Literally stumbling. I, I testify that without the gospel, we are empty. Empty and in darkness. I know because I was there, and that's possibly, possibly why I feel so passionate about 
talking about the gospel because light came into my life and I don't want to let it go. The Holy Ghost became my buddy, my friend. I don't want to let him go. When I joined the church, I was disowned by my family because they told me, you open that door to go to that church and be baptized and you don't have a family anymore. And let me clarify that it wasn't that I didn't have a house anymore. They didn't kick me out of my house. They let me live in my house, but for a whole year, nobody spoke to me. It was as if I died, but I did it anyway. I, um, that's a long story, but anyway, I, I, I got to, to the church building on a very snowy morning um, in May of 1982 and got baptized in the church. And I thought, if I'm losing everything, I only have, have one sister and my mom and dad. That was my family, and I lost them. If I'm going to lose everything for the Lord Jesus Christ, my Savior, I'm going to grab onto this Holy Ghost with all my might. And what's cool is that a year later, 10 days before my anniversary in the church, I had become a teacher already, and I was coming home for the weekend. And my mom, because um, I used to um, live away and come just for the weekends just to go to church. My mom said, it's a, it's a good thing you came home. Hurry up, change your clothes, and let's go to church. And she had tried several times to take me back to the previous church we used, I used to belong to. And I, I was surprised to have her talk to me so friendly and, and to go to church. What church, mom? <laughs> and she said, your church what's happening at my church well I don't know hurry up get dressed you gotta go and, and I'm coming I'm coming with you which again shocked me to death I walked into the church building and the missionaries come running and say somebody's getting baptized and we would like you and that person wants you to give a talk on baptism oh my gosh okay and also on the Holy Ghost all right and no pressure. <laughs> who is it? Who's getting baptized? Oh, we'll tell you in a minute. It's a surprise. So I was so concerned about coming up with a talk that I just sat with my scriptures and looked around for, for uh, what am I going to say in the next 10 minutes when this service starts. And I go, where, where did my mom go? Because she has come to, with ch to church with me, and I didn't know where she went. And I go go find my mom I told somebody I can't remember and the next thing is somebody knocking my shoulder and I turn around and it's my my mother dressed in white <laughs> and um, and of course like I'm crying now I, I, I started crying right there and she she approached me and we both hugged and um, so she was the one that was getting baptized and she had been the one asking to give a talk me giving a talk on baptism and the Holy Ghost and when I was drying her hair right after the baptism and she asked me do you know do you know why I'm a member of this church and I said oh my goodness mom I hope it's because you were looking for the truth <laughs> yes I was but why did I get baptized well because uh, you found the truth <laughs> and she says yeah, but why did I look for it in this church? I don't know. Why? And she said, because I mistreated you, your, your father and I and your sister mistreated you so horribly 
for a whole year, almost a whole year, that, um, and you never reacted, you never defended yourself, and I do have a temper. So she was surprised that I never talked back or attacked back. I just took it and gave my other cheek and then other cheek and the other cheek. And she said, um, I had to find out. What is in this church that Claudia can take all this nastiness and not react and is still nice and kind to us? And what, what is in this church that she's full of goodness? And so that was cool. I love to hear that. I thought, oh my goodness, look what happened with me letting my mom just be mean to me. Look what happened. And I had to say, mom, I wasn't trying to impress you at all. I was being absolutely a 100% selfish. What do you mean? She said. I said, listen, I have lost everything because of the gospel. I have lost you that I love with all my heart. I have gained the Lord Jesus Christ and his atonement cleaned me and saved me and allowed me that I come close to him. I finally became friends with the Holy Ghost. I didn't want to miss, I didn't want to lose the Holy Ghost by talking back to you. I didn't want to lose the Holy Ghost by defending myself. If I were to attack you the way you were attacking me, the Holy Ghost was not going to stay with me. And then I would have been completely alone. I got him in my life. I was grabbing onto him for dear life. That's why I did it. I only did it so I wouldn't lose his light. And she said, how funny. I thought you were being, you were being an example to us. I'm like, no, I was just being selfish. <laughs> I was just grabbing on to him because that was the only thing I had. But if we grab on to the light of the Holy Ghost, we can touch people's lives without even knowing. The Book of Mormon is truly the keystone of our religion and that a man and woman will get nearer to God by abiding by its precepts than by any other book. And if you then go and do what he would have you do, your power to trust him will grow. And in time, you will be overwhelmed with gratitude to find that he has come to trust you. There is no end to the good we can do, to the influence we can have with others. Let us not dwell on the critical or the negative. Let us pray for strength. Let us pray for capacity and desire to assist others. Let us radiate the light of the gospel at all times and in all places that the Spirit of the Redeemer may radiate from us. My dear brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ invites us to take the covenant path back home to our heavenly parents and be with those we love. He invites us to come, follow me.